One, Forever Alone, is an ongoing story-based podcast and is a work of fiction. You can find our podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Chapter 13 Nightmare's Genesis The chill in me returned, awakening me from a memory-induced slumber. I could feel my mother's presence fading from me, her loving warmth leaving my body. It was at that moment I truly felt hollow. I climbed a few steps from the auditorium floor to the pulpit. Each step was like walking in thick mud. My body felt drained. I stood behind the pulpit and laid my head against the leather padded wood. If this was the rapture, what crime did I commit that was so horrible that I would be deemed evil and left behind? I was losing control. Tears streamed down my eyes. Below the top of the pulpit was a small compartment. Inside was a large leather-bound Bible, the one the pastor read from, every Sunday. I pulled it out and placed it on top of the pulpit. I searched through its pages. I wanted to find one of the passages Miss Grant read to us that Sunday I walked out of class. I found what I was looking for, and I began reading silently to myself, then slowly building up to a whisper. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And where was my place? If I were unworthy to descend to the heavens, then there would be others left behind as well. Where were they? I slammed the Bible shut. I could feel the rage building up inside me again. It warmed my chill. What I have seen was not a world emptied of the good, but a world devoid of all life. Was that God's plan? I looked up to the ceiling. I was giving validation to something I said I no longer believed existed. Is that what this is? Your plan? Did you take your children to heaven? What about me? Am I not your child as well? Why was I left behind? Answer me, goddammit! Emotional distress mixed with scorned anger 
I wanted to burn the church to the ground and curse God's name. My eyes locked onto the Bible. I grabbed it by its edges and ripped it from the pulpit, throwing it to the ground. I don't believe in that. Do you hear me? I don't believe in that. I don't believe in you. I was blinded by anger, screaming to no one. I pushed my weight against the pulpit and it tipped forward. I watched it crash down onto the stage and slide down to the floor below. The sound echoed throughout the auditorium. I fell to my knees crying hysterically. I wanted it to end. I wish I had the courage to let go when I was on the balcony. I did not want to be alone any longer. There on my hands and knees, my mind slowly regained control. I forced my body upright and looked across the auditorium swearing to myself this would be the last time I would see this place. My situation was not an act of God. There was an answer and I had to be strong enough to find it on my own because nobody else was there to do it for me. I had the will to continue and I promised myself I would not stop until the real truth was found. I stood up from the crimson carpet and left the auditorium. I was content in the fact that even in the absence of faith, I would preserve as I always had on my own. As I exited the church, another memory came to the forefront of my mind. When I was six years old, my mother and father left Ashley and I with the babysitter. There was some event going on at McCormick Place. No children were allowed, and they just wanted time to themselves. The sitter allowed me to stay up watching cartoons on video. I was not used to staying up so late and fell asleep on the couch. I remembered waking up in the middle of the night in complete darkness. I was terrified and didn't know where I was. I wanted to close my eyes but I couldn't help but stare into the darkness. I was shaking and tears were falling from my eyes but I couldn't look away. Then I saw something, a shadow. It looked like me, looking at it. Crying out at the top of my lungs, I screamed for my mom and dad. They ran down the stairs to me in less than a minute, but to me it felt as if they were never coming, and that I was all alone. That started a chain of nightmares much different than anything I had dreamt about prior to then. I opened the door to the church and stepped back onto the street. I still wondered if all this could be a dream. I was plagued with bad dreams growing up. I remember they started when I turned about five years old. I don't know why, but I remembered my first nightmare. I would be startled by an unfamiliar noise and would sit up in bed 
With my eyes still closed, I would reach over and flip the light switch. Scared of the dark, I would open my eyes to find it was morning, but I also realized the lights did not work. I would leave my room and would search the upstairs of the house, thoroughly checking the bathroom and then the baby's room before opening the door to my parents' room. Finding no one upstairs, I would make my way downstairs, which led to the laundry room and then into the kitchen. There were no sounds or smells in the house that would alert me to anyone's presence. It was then that I would start to feel the fear creep up and into me. A desperate need to run out of the house would come over me. I would rush towards the wooden screen door, pushing it open with all my might. Outside it would still be daylight, just as it was when I exited the church. But it was an eerie daylight, as if the sun was being forced to sign and the light would cast a dim, cold, and almost angry color across the sky. That light brought me no comfort. A cloudless sky in my home and neighborhood, just as it was in the waking world, but devoid of all life. There was no need for a monster to frighten me. The world created in my dreams by my subconsciousness was a terror stronger than any ghost or demon. There was no need to search. My mind understood its fate and my body would surrender to it. Falling to my knees, I would close my eyes and cry until I would wake up. Back in my bedroom, this time startled awake by my dreams, my hand would shake reaching for the light switch because I knew if it did not turn on, my nightmares had not yet ended. The overcast from earlier had disappeared. I wondered if the clouds had left me as well. With nothing inside the church but troublesome memories, it was time to select another destination. I wanted to check on the fire that was burning towards Christine's home. I turned back on the North Avenue before heading west towards Well Street. Just before leaving, I turned back and looked towards my apartment. My thoughts returned to my standing on the ledge of the balcony, unable to jump from it. I wondered if I was unable to find any answers or reason for this world, would I have the courage to return and release myself from it? If my imprisonment in this empty box was to teach me that a world of one was not a world to behold, then I had already learned my lesson, but I knew it was not that simple. Exploration of my memories was not just my mind struggling against insanity but a clue to this awful mystery. Pointlessly, my eyes scanned each window. I passed, hoping that there was something I missed. Someone I missed. I stopped at the intersection of North Avenue and Well Street. The fire had spread quicker than I realized. Watching my neighborhood burn to the ground was just a prelude to what would eventually fall upon the world devoid of all life.
an image appeared in my mind. It was from Ashley's room. The letter jacket her boyfriend gave her. Lincoln Park High School. She chose that school because of him. My father was set to send her to the same school that I went to, but it was my mother who convinced him to change his mind. Reasons for her attendance there was not important. During orientation, the staff gave a history of the school, including the knowledge that a bomb shelter was built in its basement. Secondary to a church, a school, specifically one built to house people in emergency, would be an obvious choice to find shelter. I headed west towards Halstead Street when I realized there was a hole in my investigation's theory. If only the city was evacuated, then it would be reasonable to assume that an attack or some other form of devastation was imminent. If that were the case, then why would people remain behind, even within a bomb shelter? Of course, there are well-documented cases of people refusing to leave their homes during a natural disaster. But would that apply to an entire city? Recalculations would have to wait. I reached Halstead Street and found there was another accident. However, this one was a little bit different than the one on Clark Street. I left my bike behind and headed towards the intersection. A public transportation bus had crashed into a police cruiser. There were several vehicles that had crashed into one another or onto the sidewalk. These accidents were consistent with my theory that the vehicles were allowed to roll uncontrolled and unmanned. However, the accident between the bus and the cruiser was different. I approached the cruiser. It looked to have been traveling westbound on North Avenue. The impact was to the driver's side door. Either the cruiser had the right of way and the bus blew through the light, or the cruiser, perhaps responding to an emergency, drove through the intersection and was struck by the bus. The car was almost wrapped around a lamppost. The shattered glass of the cruiser crackled beneath my feet. The bus sat almost in the center of the intersection. There was no one inside. My attention was fully on the driver's side door and window. I stepped before the cruiser and confirmed what I thought I had seen from the intersection something I had not found at any of the other accidents. It was blood. Undeniably, the accident occurred before the event. I leaned into the broken driver's side window when a sharp pain on my forehead staggered me. I fell backwards onto my backside. My hand slammed atop the shard-covered asphalt. The pain on my forehead faded, replaced with the pain from my hand. It was nothing serious, just a few minor cuts. It was just a shadow, cast from the lamppost onto the driver's side seat. It made me see something. I wondered how much my mind had deteriorated. I looked at the cruiser's windshield and studied the force the officer would have struck the glass with. Clearly, if he did not die on impact, then he would have died shortly after if not taken to an hospital. Fragments of skin were on the few remaining shards in the window 
he had lost a lot of blood. Still wet, it flowed down the driver's side door, forming a small puddle on the ground. I returned to my feet. I instinctively looked around for any sign of a rescue vehicle. I pondered if it was possible that he was rescued moments before the event, or another possibility was that he was somehow able to exit the vehicle and make his way to help. The only problem was the lack of blood, or a trail of any kind. There was the police radio. I carefully reached into the car and grabbed hold of the receiver which sat on top of the center console next to the computer. The engine was off but the keys were still in the ignition. A single blinking square icon on the squad car's computer confirmed that the power was still being provided. Hello? Is anyone out there? My name is Timothy Hayden. I'm at the corner of Halsted Street and North Avenue. There's been an accident. There may be an officer that's hurt. What I was saying was pointless. With each passing minute, I came closer to believing that everyone had disappeared in a blink of an eye. Acting as if this was a normal situation, calling for help like they would actually respond, was foolish. And yet I continued. Please, anyone, if anyone's out there, I'm... In a dream, one often finds himself in a situation where there is something important to be said. Like running to escape your nightmare and the process is hampered by your subconsciousness or your fears or both. Running in quicksand. It is not just an analogy for the inability to escape, but the mind's failure to allow you to properly communicate. Often at the most critical time to speak within a dream you cannot find or form the words. On the tip of your tongue like a child standing at the edge of a diving board for the first time, you are frozen and cannot continue. Standing there, holding the receiver in my hand, listening to my own words, I just could not continue. There was nothing to say. I released the receiver and watched it as it fell from my hand and slammed against the door. I stared into the car. My ears did not listen for a response. I knew there would be none. The shadow that cast into the car retreated. A shimmer from below caught my eye. I couldn't reach the floor of the driver's side without breaking the last of the glass from the window. With the glass removed, I was able to reach down and grab the object. I recognized what it was immediately. I pulled it from atop the floor mat. I held the officer's M911 service pistol in the palm of my hand. It brought with it two feelings. The first was a sense of safety. My uncle taught me to shoot a handgun when I turned 18. Neither my mother nor father protested because of his military service and record. He taught me to respect a weapon, and that it was the person holding it who was the most dangerous. He died in his sleep the next year, 
and I had not touched the weapon since. Plausible theories aside, the fact was that I did not know who could be out there. Protecting myself had to become a priority, no matter how alone I felt. There were not enough facts available to tell me that there wasn't someone or something out there that could cause me harm. This led to the second feeling. This world could be dying with me inside it. Unlike the balcony, this weapon could provide me with release if the time was ever to come. While the will to live was still strong, it wasn't just about creating my own ending if I could not discover one. If I was ultimately alone, then there was a possibility I could become trapped or injured to the point where I would not be able to go any further. The ability to explore and to continue on is one of the few things I had left remaining. If that were to be taken from me, then I would have no choice but to bring everything to an end. I confirmed the gun was loaded and the safety was on, so I returned to my bike. I headed north on Halsted Street and soon arrived at Armitage Avenue. I turned west and I could see Lincoln Park High School, my next destination, in the distance. Next time, Chapter 14.